welcome to the Sharing the Heart of the Matter podcast, where we celebrate the why and how of creativity. I'm Wynne Leon, and in this episode, I'm with my co-host, Dr. Vicki Atkinson, and we're talking with author and illustrator, Dave Williams. I love bookstores and have a soft spot for any book written in them. Novels like The Thirteenth Tale by Diane Thetterfield and The Storied Life of A.J. Figri by Gabrielle Zevin are two of my favorites. But I've never met anyone that was raised in a bookstore. Until now. Dave Williams grew up working in his grandparents' bookstore, a converted Victorian house in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Dave shares about that experience and how it instilled the magic of stories, and then how it carried forward to passing on that magic to his twin daughters. Vicki and I ask him how he developed his talent. He tells us how he set his writing and creativity aside for a time. That is, until he saw what fun his daughters were having at craft time when they were young girls. We talk about working our way from writing what we think we should write to writing what lights our own creative fire and how being curious and interested in lots of things helps spark ideas. Dave shares his tips and tricks, like asking what-if questions and being inspired by the playfulness of kids. This is such a fun episode with the incredibly delightful and prolific Dave Williams. We know you'll love it. Hello. Vicki and I are so excited to have you on the podcast. I think that we've just gotten familiar with you this year as a blogger, but you have a great bio that mentions your grandparents' bookstore. Can you tell us the story of, of growing up with grandparents that had a bookstore? Sure, sure. Uh, first, let me tell you that I'm flattered to be on your podcast. Thank you very much for asking, asking me to be along. Now, as far as my grandparents' bookstore, it's certainly a big part of my story. My grandparents, they were restless people when it came to retirement. Mm -hmm. How they got there was that my grandfather was a Marine in World War II. And then after that, he worked in the post office for many, many years. He worked in the post office headquarters in Washington, D.C. Mm. He was a big stamp guy. Wow, wow. <laughs> um, so with all those years of government work, he was able to retire uh, in his 50s, I think mid-50s, late-50s. I'm not exactly sure how old he was, which now I'm 51 years old, and it kind of blows my mind that he did that. Of like, you can you can retire with a pension at that age. <laughs> so my, my grandparents, having that done, they weren't about to sit around the house, and they were, here comes the restlessness coming in. And they were a bit uh, entrepreneurial started a, a couple different businesses uh, somewhere around antiques like hosting antique shows uh, you know managing to rent spaces advertising that sort of thing um, another one was a small motel and that was in uh, Delaware hmm. and it was in Dewey Beach Delaware and if you're not familiar Delaware is way on the east coast and it's small state and Dewey Beach is on the south part of the state. So they, start, they started up this small motel. It was called El Capitan. Uh, <laughs> I, Fancy. I, yeah. Yeah. This kind was of before. reminiscent of the other coast. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, a little, little uh, try to make it exotic, I guess, for yeah. a very small town in, in Delaware. This was before my time. And I think it was a pretty small motel. So my point of reference when I saw Shit's Creek, that um, that series, that show. Yes, so I was just thinking about Shit's Creek as you were talking about. It. I was like, oh, I should get that out of my head. Yay! Hey, that's it's. It was in my head of. I wonder if it was like that because I've yeah. seen a few pictures, but I don't know exactly if it was the same. But or to me, it's similar. Mm -hmm. So they had that for I don't know a few years. I'm not exactly sure how how long before they. They stopped having that hotel. Um, however, some of that hotel carried on because <laughs> my grandparents kept the towels and the sheets. <laughs> in the hotel. 
they were stamped with El Capitan. And I can tell you all during my childhood, I remember using those towels and sheets with El Capitan on it. I love it. So is it a problem if you steal from your own motel? Probably not, right? That's okay. My guess is they owned it, so they just kept it. Hey, we don't have the hotel, but these towels still have some use out of them. Right. What do you do with 100 sets of sheets? Well, (laughs) you don't do laundry for a long time, (laughs) right? Fresh sheets every night. Exactly. That's a that's a good point. <laughs> Maybe then that's when you in- invite your grandkids to come stay. Mm. You no, know, come on, we've got plenty of towels and sheets for you guys. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you better tell us that you still have some remnants of those things bouncing around in your own house. You you do, don't you? One, two, something. I, ah, Vicky, I wish I did. <laughs> Just to show my kids, of this is you know this is part of you know the family. Family story. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you have to keep the story alive because you don't have the artifacts. So that works, right? Yeah. Keeping it alive through uh, this kind of um, of stuff. Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) Gosh. At some point, and again, again, I don't know exactly. So that you're talking about El Capitan, I think, was in the the 70s. And after that, I think a a property in uh, just above Dewey Beach is Rehoboth Beach, again in Delaware, on the coast. And a property came up for auction in Georgetown, um, Delaware. And my grandparents bought it. It's old Victorian house and with a kind of a, a long building behind it, separate building that used to be a laundromat. Um, and they turned it into a small, very small mall with like four stores. Mm-hmm. But the Victorian house in the front, that became the bookstore. Um, picture old, uh, I think light gray, white trim, red door, and a little bit uh, along with the, uh, the setting, the, um, the store was called the gingerbread square bookstore, not talking gingerbread house or gingerbread cookies. Mm -hmm. It's a woodworking term. And I don't know the exact definition, but it's, it's the ornaments, ornamentation, woodworking design. Mm-hmm. That's below the roof. It could be in a, a porch, yeah. the house itself, maybe. Mm-hmm. The curly cue stuff, right? All the fancy be. things. Yeah. It can be curly cues. It can be just the zig and zags, however you like it. That's the gingerbread of the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, my grandfather, in addition to enjoying stamps and a lot of other stuff, he, he was a big woodworker. And so that was, that really called to him. That's so great. the Victorian house. With uh, you know fancy gingerbread, it's uh, two blocks from the ocean, in this small town of Rehoboth Beach. And one other aside, um, somebody <clears throat> has made Rehoboth Beach quite famous uh, recently is President Biden. That oh, he, right. <laughs> yeah, he has a house in Wilmington, I think, for quite a while. But he supposedly vacationed in Rehoboth and maybe just before his presidency, I think bought a house there. So, so mm-hmm. he made a, uh, a small town, pretty big on the map, as far oh. as name goes. It's the, the president's getaway is, is little Rehoboth beach. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, there's another podcast guest that we've had on Todd Fulginetti, who loves mm-hmm. Rehoboth beach. Did I say that right? Yeah. Rehoboth beach, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant Fulginetti. Sorry. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh well, that one too. <laughs> that too. I, I had I had a high likelihood of getting something wrong in that sense. <laughs> yeah, so but Todd this, loves that area. He does. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is this is the setting for your grandparents, and you would come visit them there. Actually, I lived in town. My brother and I were raised by a single mom, and so she chose to to move where her parents were. This is my mom's my mom's parents. Mm-hmm. So we moved um, from California to Rehoboth Beach. And so I, I lived in that small town and it was it was quite quite something. <laughs> Very wow. Nice. So, yeah. yeah. But just the combination of your grandparents and what you said about how entrepreneurial they were and that your you know granddad had the ability to kind of have these second lives. 
doing different things. But um, when Wynn and I were talking about the backstory of your grandparents and the, the bookstore and all of that, we just, our minds started to spin about what a great place to grow up. You know, for someone who now is a, a wonderful writer and you demonstrate your love of books by, you know, all of your writing and your imagination. And we love all of that. But what was it like to grow up in a bookstore? What? It was, it was, it was a mix because it was wild in part where you had all these books, you know, available to you. Uh, the library was nice too. I mean, it was a small town, but we had a, a pretty, you know, good, respectable library there. And my mom was, um, still is a great reader, loves reading books. And she passed that down to my brother and me. So, you know, between the library, our bookstore, um, that we had books, books around, you know, and, and we started working there, I think, maybe around 12 or 13 years old, which was, I'm sure for the, the, the customers like this kind of like oh here's this these little kids and <laughs> i hope they i hope they know how to use a calculator and <laughs> <laughs> but it is it is a good thing that um delaware has no sales tax so you didn't have to worry about <laughs> adding in that of, you just, you just <laughs> do the price of the book you know add in the two prices of books or whatever yeah i love that <laughs> so you actually got to like do the sales and like help out with purchases mm -hmm. wow Cool. Starting, starting around that age, um, you know, and, and building up to that, where eventually they trusted, uh, you know, my brother and me to to be alone in the bookstore and like, okay, you know, teenager, 16, 17 years old, that, okay, they're, they'll go off and do their other work and, you know, restock or what have you, take a break. Yeah. Um, that uh, we were alone in the bookstore, you know, one of us at a time. And and that's the the other side of the coin because it wasn't always thrills and chills. It was, it was, there's some boring times. And, yeah. you know, during the summer months, the bookstore was open seven days a week, you know? And so mm -hmm. it was, it was a, mm -hmm. it was a slog during mm -hmm. those months because yeah. tons of tourists would come into town. They would have their vacations and have a great mm -hmm. time. And sometimes at the bookstore, you're just bored, right. <laughs> especially in the middle of the day, because in the morning, some people would be picking up a, you know, a beach read, say, mm -hmm. middle of the day, they were at the beach, you know, that's where they were there yeah. for. And in the evenings, it was the after dinner of people, people would be strolling around. And so really the middle of the day, you know, if you weren't doing, say, alphabetizing or cleaning up or restocking, I'd be reading mm. most of the time. So that was yeah. that level of reading. I would inhale you know, I guess as a kid, it was, you know, comic books, Encyclopedia Brown, you know, mm -hmm. so on and so on. Choose mm -hmm. your own adventure books, you know, and and eventually working my way up to novels. And it was there that, you know, it's funny that you, uh, I think you, you kind of ironic too, that you uh, titled this episode The Magic of Stories. Because for years, you know, I would tell people at the bookstore, that's where I thought reading was a kind of magic. Mm. When it came time to, when some people say, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? What do you want to do as a career? That was one of the things, you know, trying to besides like playing sports, which wasn't that good at. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that came to mind was I want to be able to create that magic. Mm -hmm. And that was the, that yeah. was the, like the spark. Cause it was, those stories would, it would transport me to, you know, the bookstore, you know, people came to the beach for vacations and you can say, oh, it's a wonderful place, but it had its boring side too. So my reading would transport me to, you know, Encyclopedia Brown's adventures and trying to, mm -hmm. to solve the mystery or choose your own adventure where it would be some fantastical setting. Yeah. That oh, is I so love that. Yes. <clears throat> Yeah, and in fact, you needed it just to get you through those slow hours. Yeah, were helpful. <laughs> when did you start writing then? I think I started pretty early, as far as just jotting down, you know, simple stories of cowboys or you know baseball players or such. Um, but I think the one that first comes to mind, as far as kind of more on the serious side, 
was I was in high school and I wrote a short story, um, fantasy story. I, uh, I think I was, had read uh, Lord of the Rings and was, was uh, heavily inf influenced by that. <laughs> um, and I sent the story off to a, um, a contest and didn't win, but it was the whole experience was just, it was neat to do it all. And, you know, back then it was, did on a typewriter, you know, and borrow my mom's typewriter and, uh, mm -hmm. Doing the using the whiteout when I made mistakes, <laughs> all that stuff, you know, wasn't the uh, hitting the delete key and sending it off. So it was a really neat experience of, yeah. hey, I can, you know, this is maybe one of tons of entries, but it's my entry, you know, and right. that was that was quite yeah. meaningful. Yeah. Well, and it's you're participating early on in the frustration that's an author. You, you've got your story. You're sending it in. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And it was neat. I, I still have to have that story too. You know, I still have the, the uh, paper copy of it, and I, I shared it with my kids. I, I think I was uh, 15 years old when I, I wrote it, and so I, I waited till they were 15 to, to share it with them, and they, oh. they giggled like crazy at the. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. That. It's such a good segue because you've talked about mm -hmm. your grandparents owning a bookstore, your mom liked to read. There's you and your brother, and then you have daughters. Yeah. Yep. Did you pass on the love of reading to them? Oh, yes, for sure. For sure. That was for my wife and me. Um, that was a kind of a, such a natural thing to do. Uh, mm -hmm. We're both great readers, love books. And so fitting that into a day, have reading time with our daughters, our twin daughters, um, who are now 20 years old. That was as natural as taking them to a playground mm -hmm, or a walk yeah. in a school. You know, mm -hmm. it was hey, there's this book, Very Hungry Caterpillar, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Vander Boyden's books. I mean, it's those stuff yeah. that, you know, it brought me back to childhood and and family would give us books because my family also loves reading too. So they would give us some, you know, Harold and the Purple Crayon and and just sitting down with them and and, and uh, reading the stories and laughing and mm. books like... Um, Oh, how do you pronounce his last name? Richard Scary, Richard Scary. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember. I've heard it both ways. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I know what books you are looking for. The Lowly Worm. We were it's just doing yes. that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I need to ask a strategy question there because you have twin daughters. <laughs> now, would you divide and conquer with your wife? Like, would, where <laughs> one parent would read with one child at a time or would you all bunch together and it's one mm. parent with two kids i mean did, did they have similar enough interests i think there were it was typically in the very beginning it was all four of us at reading bedtime reading mm -hmm. and then eventually we grew out to one grown-up for both kids mm -hmm. because they, they had i mean they're they're best friends now and they have been bestest friends forever and they have similar uh likes and mm -hmm. so they would pick out one or two or three books and, you know, would read them and, and they, they're both into it at the same time. It wasn't like one said, Oh, Hey, I, I only want construction stories, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and one wants, uh, gosh, I don't know. It's Richard yeah. Scully stories or whatever. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> I'm imagining. Cause one of the things I, I want our listeners to know is that you also do th the most amazing illustrations. So I'm wondering, you know, to Wynn's point, when the girls were little and they realized not only did mom and dad, you know, give them the love of reading and it's sort of this generational gift, but at what point did they realize dad was a storyteller? And especially when kids are little, when they realize, you know, dad can draw really well, you know, and illustrate, you know, his own stuff. But did that start to come together where you were telling your unique stories, things that you're writing on the spot as you're telling them and drawing for them? Or am I imagining that that could have happened? No, no, no. That's, that's a good question. They, um, they let's see, um, <clears throat> let me back up a little bit first because it was actually the other way around at first where oh. they inspired me. Oh. That, I'll, I'll get, I'll get to them eventually, but we want to back up the story a little bit where, um, so I wrote that story in high school, went to college, got a, uh, an English degree. And then after college, I, I wrote some short stories, sent them off. 
for uh, uh, to magazines. Got some rejection letters, which you know it's it stings, but mm-hmm. it's from what I, I hear, it's a normal thing. You know, of of I actually listened to a, a I can't remember the author's name, but she said her writing teacher told her at the beginning of her career, you know, you're not a writer until you can wallpaper your room with rejection letters. <laughs> no, it's no, it's 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 that it's the yes, it stings, but it's the hey, I'm trying. You know, right? that kind of attitude of it's motivation in itself where yes, I'm still gonna I'm gonna keep going. It's that persistence. Mm-hmm. So I feel down sometimes, but you know, I'm gonna still put, pick myself up and, and keep going. Where I say that However, like somewhere in my 20s, I just stopped writing, you know, Mm -hmm. where it was, I can't, you know, put my finger on it now where it's like, I could say, hey, life got in the way, kind of sounds simplistic, Mm -hmm. but I just put my energies into other things. So I stopped for a while. And then when our daughters were like, you were coming around to what you asked, Mm -hmm. when our daughters were, were infants and craft time was a big time, just like reading time, yeah. where you got your drawing, your painting, and so yeah. on. I got jealous. I like, <laughs> oh, so much fun. You know, it's like, these guys, like, hey, you're going outside the lines, you're doing finger paint, stickers. <laughs> I want to f- have fun, too. So they inspired me, you know, to break out of that, where I, I put my you know, I was, I was doing graphic design. So I was, I was doing somewhat creative stuff for work, but my own stuff, like creativity, you know, for my writing, I pretty much put in a box and locked it and mm-hmm. put it to the side. Mm-hmm. So my daughter's doing their creative work, their craft, just, just simply playing, being, you right. know, something that came natural to them that I unlocked the box, opened it up and it's like, let's go for it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, yeah, that came out with. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's almost like sometimes we go through that phase where we think we have to be grown up and do grown up serious things, and then we have mm-hmm. to be reminded to. Yeah. Uh, this is what I get from from your story is that we need to be reminded mm-hmm. of that creativity. Yeah, it's it's the re- reminders are certainly are helpful because it's. I think the creativity can can be seen as, oh, that's for kids. Mm-hmm. Or if you're very lucky, you get to be a professional musician or a writer. Mm-hmm. You know, and another other aspect of that was that after college, I was writing where it was like um, deep philosophical, not super deep philosophical stuff, but it was like, I took the stuff that I read in college and it, it was, you know, serious fiction, some um, not so serious. I, I really liked the... Uh, I took a class in absurdist fiction of uh, Eastern Europe, and that was great. Mm-hmm. But I tried to replicate that, which wasn't always, you know, from coming from within. It was, hey, these guys are so good. They made it into college classes. I want to do something like that, mm-hmm. which it wasn't really me. So yeah. it, was, it took me a while to come back. Like as a teenager, I was really into science fiction, fantasy, you know, I mentioned Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. I mean, I, you know, telling my age, I I, had, I went to the uh, first Star Wars movie. I saw it in the theaters and that blew me away. I was that. Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you had crazy there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Isn't that great? You have that, you have that uh, uh, memory of like pre-streaming. It's like, we were there, man, you know? Yeah. And, and um, that that blew me away. And you know, I had Star Wars toys and stuff. And so I put that again to the side at, through college. Of hey, these are serious. I, I you know looked at the serious books, and yeah. And it took me a while to come back to that. Of hey, what what gets your juices flowing? You know, what yeah. lights mm-hmm. the fire? And for yeah. me, it was the stuff as a teenager. And so it was, it was my kids. Again, as you're saying, you know, showing us, hey, that reminder of so what if somebody calls you a geek? You know, it's it's hey, you're it's it's a stump, it's something you love. Right. You know? yeah. like that's 
that was wonderful to me. Oh, like another good, you know. Well, because your girls helped you find your way back. I'm, I'm going to characterize this, but you you tell me if I've got it wrong. But your your girls helped you get back to the joy of it. And also maybe to silence that inner editor that's just a real pain in the butt, right? About worthiness and authenticity. And, you know, Wynn and I spent a lot of time thinking about this because we like the idea of writing for release and the creative process. But if you're you're writing and constantly evaluating as you're doing it, you're going to get nowhere and you will put the whole of it sort of metaphorically in a box and shove it in a closet because that's not a feel good for anyone. But your girls took you back to the joy. Yes, they did. They did. It was it was. And I, I hear you about the inner editor. I mean, I, I certainly have that. Um, but I think as far as my daughters, it was. Hey, you're have the minds I had the mindset of before I had write what I think I should be writing mm -hmm. right. instead of write which lights that fire yeah. and the inner editor you know it's that's a that's another kind of thing and it's a difficult one and I still I think it's always be in the case where you know I criticize my own stuff and if I can tone down that voice the voice mm -hmm. can still be there Mm -hmm. But if I can tone down that voice while I'm in the first draft mm -hmm. of that's even, that's the best, you know, yeah. of, uh, that, that's yeah. where stuff really clicks. And, you know, I, I, I have uh, good days of writing and bad days of writing and the good days tend to be when that inner editor says, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to have some tea over here on the side and you go do your thing. <laughs> I'm just going to, you know, meditate or, you know, whatever. And, and I'll come back during the second draft. I'll be, I'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. And I've also come around to during that second draft, a really appreciating that editor. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't used to. Um, it was a uh, <clears throat> George Saunders is a, um, I think he primarily writes short stories and he's a, um, he's a professor and, I can't remember which college but i i remember he looking at a uh, an interview with him on youtube and he mentioned about the importance of editing and i thought you know that kind of was mind-opening to me of maybe he's got a point you know i can try to reappraise my perception my outlook because it was like to me it was writing is the sexy thing editing is uh, so boring but i've come around to I appreciate that inner editor mm -hmm. at those times Yeah, where it's like, he can, he can really help me craft and ask questions. Mm -hmm. of, Does this scene work here? Does that work there? So those things. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm to appreciate. <laughs> what I find amazing about your writing is, and maybe this goes back to that college experience and, you know, that the time that where you spent writing, what you thought you should be writing versus now where what, what lights your fire is, but you, you have such breadth of style. I mean, you can write about zombies one day and <laughs> poems about candy bars on another day. I mean, that's just such breadth. Yeah. Do you have a trick that's kept you from pigeonholing yourself? Um, I would say, uh, the trick might be being curious about a lot of things, mm -hmm. um, interested in a lot of things, experimenting. That may be the trick where um, just try different things. You know, if mm -hmm. an idea pops up, sketch it down, put it in a sketchbook. I mean, I, I have some sketchbooks full of stuff that I don't think worked out well. It didn't click, you mm -hmm. know, so not everything will click, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean not try it, you know, where you have an idea <clears throat> and now it's, you know, have my, my phone type it in the notes app. When I get home, I can try to sketch it out, mm -hmm. go from there. You know, it's, it's, it can be a process. Um, I mean, I can give an example of one of my books. Right. If you want. So, mm -hmm. so one of my novels, uh, no, he's a novella. So on the short novel is called, um, there's a minotaur at the door. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I was just playing around with, I think I was taking a walk and I was playing around with rhymes. And it's like, just, you know, just as your mind wanders, as you're taking a walk and, mm -hmm. and whatever, however it came out, that Minotaur and door came up. 
so that's kind of funny you know i i and i i think at the time too i was uh, that was back when going back again to my daughters where i was doing a lot of silly writing uh, poems and silly sketches and the main thing was to get them to laugh you know it was i i had my <laughs> yeah i had my dumb dad jokes you know i had those <laughs> but i also had um the silly poems and i was I was really inspired by Shel Silverstein because oh, his stuff right. is is it's sometimes yeah. absurd, sometimes very funny. It's it's great stuff. So I mm -hmm. I took uh, pages you know from him like hey, let me need to just try it. So I think it was around that time, and so the Minotaur and Door I tried as a poem. It's like well, see how it goes, mm -hmm. and it really didn't click super well. So I thought well. What about a story? Mm -hmm. And so I said, and then the questions came out. Well, if there's a minotaur at the door, who is inside the house? Mm -hmm. And then I had this, another click where the idea pops on my mind where, what about somebody, three guys are in the house that are like the three stooges. So it's like, <laughs> there's kind of like these antics, <laughs> they're back and forth of like, they're freaked out because they, there's a knock at the door. They look through the peephole there's a minotaur at the door. There's yeah. a minotaur at the door. Yeah. So what do you do? So they're they're freaking out. They're being they're bouncing around the place, and um, they eventually they don't they don't open the door, but they um, they talk to to the minotaur through the door, and it turns out the minotaur just wants directions. <laughs> he's, in town, he's in town visiting a a a, a friend who's a, a retired archaeologist, something like that. Oh and um, and then, then the Minotaur leaves. End of that short story. Well, I enjoyed it, you know, and I thought, well, it's neat. But the story kept bugging me of well, what happens next is or anything. So mm -hmm. I thought, well, what if those three guys, two of them are it's like, that's OK, I'm done. I wasn't even sure if it was a Minotaur. Maybe it was a trick of the light. But one of the guys was curious. So he remembers the name of this archaeologist doctor mm -hmm. that the Minotaur is visiting. So he go, goes to look him up, you know, and that leads to scene two, scene three, and so forth. Yeah. So what started as a poem went to a short story. That short story was the opening chapter of what eventually became the novella. So it's oh like, gosh. it's that kind of experimenting that it's wonderful when it, it works as magical going back yeah. to that but it doesn't always work and that's okay you know can always. i ask you a question about that though when you because i think that you know whether it's an editor or just that tendency to be hypercritical and we get frustrated when something seems like it's a dead end when you're writing and that kind of writing ourselves into a corner you know and then you just kind of get disgusted with yourself and you walk away it sounds like what you do is is you you give whatever you've created a little space to breathe and then come back around to it and you start thinking in the what if kind of way about what if it continues you know what are what are the possibilities next and you seem to have this amazing ability to then you know creatively throw all kinds of you know imaginative possibilities into the mix and I'm imagining you just kind of sitting back smiling all by yourself about you know the idea and where you're going but is it that you have to give things like time like a, a rest beat a pause to then come back and for how long how do you do that do you just cycle through things or uh, a pause is great that's can, yeah. it can be really helpful of just put it to the side especially if you're disgusted with it you're not sure what happens next mm -hmm. where you just put it to the side take a walk work on something else, make dinner, what have you. It could be leave it alone for a week or so. And as you mentioned, during that time, you can work on another project if you want. Um, you, can, you can ask questions. Say, why is it not happening? Why is it not working well for me? And try to think about it in different ways. Mm -hmm. What if questions are, to me, fantastic for, for creativity of what happens if I do this, if I do that? And that can lead to brainstorming. That can lead to daydreaming. I'm also, in addition to what if questions, I'm a big fan of daydreaming, of 
if it if it gets in your way of your work, don't do it. If you're walking <laughs> the street, don't do it. So with have have a uh, guardrails yeah. as you're daydreaming, mm -hmm. but daydream. Get away from the screens of TV, mm -hmm. computer, phone, and just daydreaming. Walking is great too for that. Mm -hmm. And ask mm -hmm. those questions and try to try to think about things in a different way. You know. Yeah. Well, one thing that you said that sticks with me is that you said the story wouldn't leave me alone. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's the ones that stick because mm -hmm. they persist. Yeah. 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 And yeah. sometimes that happens where, you know, the, as you mentioned, my, I, I have poems on my blog and mm -hmm. most of those they're done, they're set, you know, they're, they're good to go, you know, and, but other poems or short stories, um, they will nag at me. Um, mm -hmm. The Minotaur at the door that nagged at me and other ones, nagged at me of because it's that that kind of whispering like they're like on my shoulder whispering like hey i'm not done you know there's mm -hmm. this character wants a little more i want to have i want to see what happens after the you know the period at the end of the sentence final sentence of the story what happens after that and it's mm -hmm. and you know of course like you know as readers that happens sometimes too when you're reading a book mm -hmm. you're hey that was a neat adventure but I loved that character. What happens next? You know, <laughs> if you're into fan fiction, you can write it yourself, but, but mm -hmm. that's, that certainly happens sometimes with my stories. Yeah. Yeah. Love yeah. it. One of the things I love about what you said is that you're doing all that with yourself. And I think one of the things that I'm, I'm becoming more aware of is the tendency for people to feel they need a beta reader for this and this and that to give feedback that sort of formative feedback you know, in progress. And I, I wonder sometimes if that's detrimental uh, that you, you know, just continuing the creative process is really what is job number one before you invite other eyes into it. I don't know. I, I think that depends on the person. I think mm -hmm. um, some writers, they, they benefit from a beta reader. They hand it off to, you know, that trusted person to don't, don't eviscerate me, you know, with criticism, <laughs> but give me that, that helpful, constructive feedback. I tend to not, and there's, there's a mixture of, of reasons in that. And, and part of it is, is I'm a pretty passive person. And the, when I create a story that it's, and this is also kind of sounds selfish, but it's like, I want that to be my story. It's, it's, I appreciate other people's point of view. It's just that I'm, I have to guard myself sometimes of my passivity because it's, it can go pretty far. And it's like, Hey, if the beta reader gives me 10 um, suggestions, there's a pretty good chance I'll take those 10 suggestions, yeah. you know, take them literally too. Mm -hmm. um, on the other side of it is there's the, in writing, there's terms of, are you an outliner or a pantser, you know, of <laughs> you outline before you write and some people that works for them. Mm -hmm. Or are you a pantser where pantser where you write on the seat of your pants? Yeah, right. Yeah. And so for me, as I'm writing, I'm more of a pantser because I like that kind of mystery, that uncertainty. Mm -hmm. of, I'm not sure what happens next. Mm -hmm. And as I'm writing, a lot of times I find out as I'm writing what happens yeah. next. And for me, it's that journey that. It's the, going back to that joy of I'm transported to a different place. I'm there in the in the <clears throat> the house with those guys when a minotaur is knocking on the door. <laughs> I'm not sure what happens next. Mm -hmm. Do I want to be that guy who who just sits back and says I'm done, done. I'm not going to search anymore. Or do I want to be that guy who takes that extra step? Right. And what do I find out when I go visit that? retired archaeologist house <laughs> and i like that that uncertainty so for me it's that finding out what going through and finding out what unveils itself yeah yeah i love that that whole process of exploring that i wonder how that does that then manifest in your life in that you've talked about being a passive person but as you're characters get more uh exploratory do you get more exploratory or not really not in real life 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I say like I love traveling. I love, I love going to you know new cities, new restaurants. Mm-hmm. But I'm not a, a super adventurous person myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's part of, of writing where I get to do those things. And it's going back to um, I think we've got one of the themes of, of the episode is that playfulness of kids. Mm-hmm. And you think about it where kids play pretend. Today, I want to be a, a, a pirate an astronaut Mm -hmm. you know and eventually you can say you grow out of that right but to me if you're seeing a a movie or a reading a book you kind of play pretend too you empathize and you go see a superhero movie you're seeing that point of view from the superhero and you can try to say hey hey, i can you know i can Mm -hmm. uh absorb the the energy of that and kind of be that uh superhero and, and pretend Mm-hmm. But as far as writing goes, I get to play pretend not while seeing, you know, a movie or a book play out, but I get to play pretend while making the choices yeah. of that. I haven't read, I haven't written any, any pirates or astronauts yet. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I can, I can be that kind of playful kid mm-hmm. part and play that pretend. Cause it's, yeah. it's the, again, transporting, yourself and, and doing those adventures while being on in the safety of you know mm-hmm. my house <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, that it makes me laugh because this morning mr d four-year-old mr d was saying that he wanted a pirate bed and oh. eight-year-old miss l goes oh no i don't <laughs> want him to be a pirate person <laughs> what does that mean he wants a pirate bed he wants a schooner for a bed <laughs> well yeah he wants to be <laughs> pirate themed or <laughs> i don't know <laughs> he's very inventive i don't yes, know yes yeah. and his sister was all about judging it i was like come on let's let that play out a little bit <laughs> I, I like the idea and, and and hopefully you know if um you can persuade miss O of like saying he's gonna be a good pirate and he's, oh, gonna, yeah. he's gonna talk like a pirate and <laughs> yes. right. what's, your, what's your favorite letter of the alphabet <laughs> no but i think dave's got the right idea if miss o gets on board and she's directing the show or providing some oh yeah oh let's not make her walk the plank (laughs) oh my gosh now we know dave's next story is going to be pirate themed we just know it (laughs) but actually you've kind of no i guess not i was thinking about um one of your books do you call it a novella don't lose your head would you call that a novella or a book um, I call it a no- book novella. I, yeah. I guess it, it goes back um, to, and I was curious about the terms. I looked up on Wikipedia, and it said the uh, the definition of a novel has to be at least fifty thousand words. Oh, okay, so gotcha. I just, you know, I, I it's, that stuck with me, you know. So yeah. I, I um, don't lose your head. I, I think is, uh, I think it was close to fifty thousand words. Before it's a heck editing. of a title. It's a <laughs> heck of a title, and the cover and art is book. amazing. <laughs> oh, a heck of a That's book. a fun book. Oh, thank you. Thank they you. they all are. They're they're. Um, when you were talked about those like decision making points about does it end here or what next. That's such an interesting insight to be able to talk to the author about that mm-hmm. because I can think about the other other lives of the Boothbees. Yep. And I'm reading that one right now. Oh, yeah, oh. but I can see where Butter. there probably were moments where you're like, and it is, is it like, and, and scene, right? Does it end here? But then th- there's, there's more and it's so much fun. All of it. So true. Yeah. So you have, we've talked about your wonderful stories and your wonderful range. What have you decided to do from about these, you know, from a publication standpoint, <laughs> from a marketing standpoint, to tell us what that journey is like. Um, well, I self-publish. I think it was it was also the, what stuck with me of the in my twenties of sending off the short stories and and it just you know I I, I think at this point it's like I'd rather focus my energy on just writing mm-hmm. and now that um, self publishing is is a, the systems are in place you know Barnes yeah. and Noble Amazon etc and it's it's once you learn the system you, it's it's pretty simple to do and so that's what I decided to put as far as the mm-hmm. get those out. Um, and, and it's, it works well, you know, self-publishing, you can, if you, uh, see an, uh, a mistake that you made, you can 
upload a new ebook file, what have you. Right. Um, marketing is, oh, that's a whole other beast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, as, as a uh, self-publisher, that's just one of the hats, yeah. you know, you're aware yeah. of. If you design your own cover, if you edit, mm -hmm. you know, that you can wear those hats or you could um, farm those out if you want to pay mm -hmm. someone to design your cover or edit. Mm -hmm. um, you could also, I guess, pay someone to market too. But if you decide to do that too, that's a whole other thing. And, and you know, as a, as a writer, marketing doesn't come easy to me. It's mm -hmm. like, a, like a whole, it's a different language. Like, right. I don't, what do I do? And Mm -hmm. I've had very small success with it that I've been on Twitter and Instagram and tried to <clears throat> you know, promote my works. Mm -hmm. It really hasn't worked out well. And I've, mm -hmm. I've enjoyed meeting other um, self-published authors there, but those, like, especially Twitter really didn't click with, with me that mm -hmm. such a quick yeah. thing yeah. that it did, I just didn't work well. I, I a little description that I, I think of Twitter as you walk into a crowded room full of people and everybody is talking at once. You know, like it's just, oh. that's just not me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, so some perfect. People, some people thrive on it. I'm sure. WordPress blogs, that's much more my speed. Right. Yeah. Um, so I promote my stuff on the WordPress blog. Um, I have, gosh, maybe a year or two ago, paid a few companies that promote your stuff for you mm -hmm. that they Say I ran a um, a free ebook for five days on Amazon, and I paid these guys to include that ebook in their newsletter. They've got a X amount of subscribers on their newsletter, mm -hmm. and they post it on Twitter, and they've got X amount of followers. And so it's, and I had some success from that. Um, I'm not sure I'll do it again anytime soon. So it's 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 the hey, based on that some you know. An ebook was downloaded 200 times, you know, the day before, you know, mm -hmm. I, that was, that was really cool. Mm -hmm. But after that, you know, it's, it's not much. So it's, it's a, it's a frustrating thing. I, I had put a lot of work into it and I made the decision to not put as much, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's the balancing thing. You know, yeah. I have a day job. I've got other things to do that, you know, just hang out and relax with my wife, my friends, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's just that I don't put a lot of energy into marketing that much anymore. That that may change at some point, but you know, it's, it's a difficult thing. Yeah. And, and for anybody that's listening, Vicki and I are nodding our heads because we, yes, we've, we've, we've been there ourselves. We've heard this from other people. Writing and marketing are two different animals. Yeah. And it's yeah. hard, I think, hard to keep accessing that creative spark yeah. and then ap applying the marketing to it is is two different tasks. Yeah, it's yeah. almost and as if, you've gotta, yeah, it's a, as if you've got to like, okay, I'm going to write for four days a week. I'm going to market for two days a week. And like yeah. I can I can try to pigeonhole myself into those roles on those days. I, yeah. I don't know. I just. Maybe that'll work out. I, I just threw that out there. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but it's really hard. And I think then you worry about when you have an attentive audience, you worry about saturating too much, you mm -hmm. know, with folks that are supportive and encouraging, you, you know, when have you overdone it? And when is it time to just get back to doing the writing, you know, which is, is really the heart song. It's the thing that draws us in. But it's it's very difficult, I think, to balance it all. So I think what you shared is is helpful, I, I'm sure, for a lot of people because it is it's the business side of things. And and when do you just sort of sideline some of that to keep the joy, mm -hmm. you know, and the craft, you know, kind of front and center. Otherwise, you know, I, I know a couple of people that have walked away from their creative lives because trying to make a living doing it. You know, it, it was really always supposed to be the avocational thing, not the vocational. And I think when you get that clarity in your head, it helps. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I know there are a lot of folks that are aspirational to make, you know, a decent living through their creations. And, you know, we hate to be the buzzkill, you know, group here, but that's tough. It's tough. It is. It is tough. Um, 
you know, it's, it's certainly nice to have those, those dreams of, Hey, I'm going to be a, uh, you know, have this be a best-selling author, but if I can be an author with enough money to pay the bills, great, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that's tough to get to. Yeah. And so it's, you know, for me in, in my journey that I've come down to, Hey, writing is a hobby. Mm -hmm. I love doing it. Probably not going to be a career at this point. So I just do it for the joy of it. And, yeah. and that's again, that another reason of pushing the marketing away of, okay, if it's a hobby and, you know, wonderful, if I've got like, you guys are, are so kind and what you mentioned about my books of that, you know, makes me smile. It makes me glow. That's not, you know, a hundred sales a day. So yeah. be it. You know, I, I try to make peace with that. You know, it's yeah. just, mm -hmm. but hearing what you guys say, that's, it's wonderful to, to hear that. And, and oh, well, we, we mean it from the heart and going all the way back to the beginning. It's about, you know, generational joy, thinking about your grandparents and the things that you're writing and your daughters and Wynn's children and, you know, my daughter, you know, in the end, I think we write to be present in the future. Mm -hmm. I, that's how I feel about it. It's, it's a connection. Um, has potential anyhow, but they're, you know, for you thinking about your grandparents, you're kind of honoring them doing what you do for the love of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, to go back around to the bookstore, I mean, it was not a super profitable bookstore. You know, it was, if, if my grandfather started it when he was a younger man, he might not have made it work, but mm -hmm. because of his mm -hmm. pension and mm -hmm. the, somewhat uh you know income coming in um it made it work but it wasn't you know a a 40-year career for him you know yeah some people right. they they do they, they have those and i my heart goes out to the people who have independent bookstores i mean mm -hmm. i'd love you for doing that <laughs> that's a, a whole other um yeah you know, labor of love in it too right, right. Yeah. yes well you two are um just magical at bringing this full circle we're talking it back to the story of of what inspired a lot of your writing and reading and the magic of stories the your grandparents bookstore so good dave thank you so much for your time today it was such a pleasure to talk to you uh, it was a pleasure being here and again i'm flattered that you guys asked me so thank you very much thank you welcome it was a treat all around thanks dave <laughs> Thank you for listening. Our music is composed for sharing the heart of the matter by the exquisitely talented duo of Jack Canfora and Rob Koenig. For show notes and more great inspiration, please visit our site at sharingtheheartofthematter.com. Thank you.